0: If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to Luke chapter 1 for this morning's message and for our time together here today, Luke chapter 1. I was speaking to a gentleman in our church earlier this week as I was calling him to kind of see how he and his family were doing. Uh, To my knowledge, I think everyone in the family in recent weeks had been diagnosed with COVID and we had been praying for them. And uh, he was sharing with me the wonderful praise and celebration that they're all doing much better. Everyone's recovered and is healed. And then he made a statement that I imagine that you can relate to this morning. And the statement was this. Pastor Matthew, just to be honest with you, we're just looking forward to closing the door on this year and moving forward to next year, right? Kind of the summary statement of his battle with COVID, summary statement of the year with all the challenges of this, We're just ready to close the door on this one and move forward to the next. Can anybody relate to that today? I imagine on some way, shape or form, we can all relate to the fact that we're ready to put 2020 behind us and move forward to the next year. This year, unlike for most of us, many any other, has been a year of so many challenges and difficulties. It has been absolutely exhausting. It seems like at everywhere we've turned and at every moment along the way, we've dealt with bad news. There's been a new media report. There are new government restrictions. There's a new crisis. There's a new situation. There's a new uncertainty. There's a new unknown. There's a new financial distraction. There are all these different things. And it seems like week to week, month to month, season to season, the news has only gotten worse. I was thinking about that over this week and last week for that matter, and thinking about some of the headlines that we have learned in the news this week. Whether you like them or dislike them, agree or disagree, these are some of the headlines that have come out. Some of them are a bit lighthearted, but for example, in January, the headline began the year with these words, tensions between US and Iran increase. For many people, that was a cause for concern and anxiety as tensions occurred between our countries. In February, the headline was simply this, President Trump is acquitted. Of course, in the impeachment process and those charges, of course, failed, but that was what the case was in February. In March we learned the headline that the coronavirus spreads. We thought that was news at the time. We now know it was already spreading in parts of the country, but that was the headline in March. In March again, the headline was that the government imposes mandatory restrictions. And of course, we began to hear the stay at home orders. And we went from 100 people to 50 people to 25 people to 10 in social gatherings. In March again, we learned that the stock market crashed amid the pandemic. Many of us in the context of our retirement funds, we felt the pain of that, and we'll probably be feeling it for a while, but we understood that headline in March. In April, the headline was that toilet paper shortage causes a messy situation. (laughs) There's a lot of words I thought about besides messy, but messy was the good church word to use this morning. In May, the headline was that protests fill the streets nationwide. And of course, many of us dealt with, of course, the, the concerns and the sensitivities of the moment and the issues at hand and the challenges that it presented. Then beyond that, then in June, we, we began to see the headlines that statues were being destroyed in the context of social justice. In July, we were assured that the summer heat would end the spread of COVID-19. That was the promise. In August, the headline by Fauci, what were we thinking? I don't know what he was thinking, but nonetheless. That's where it was. In September, we were assured that COVID-19 vaccine would be here by Christmas. That was the headline. In October, the reports are already surfacing of the headlines that Americans don't trust the COVID-19 vaccine. In November, Thanksgiving traditions, we learned, were canceled. and Many of them, of course, especially in California, were given major penalties if they were to meet and gather in groups of more than 10. And I've never seen so many pictures of a turkey wearing a mask. It's ridiculous. But nonetheless, that's what it was. And December, maybe the headline should be simply a question Will this ever end, right? Now, I'm being a little bit sarcastic and kind of tongue in cheeky, if you will, but I think you get the point. This has been a heavy year. It's been a year in which it seems that week to week and news to news that it's been discouraging and disheartening, it's been difficult and even depressing. It's been overwhelming. This year in a season, unlike any other, there have been more divisions in the context of the church, more challenges in the context of relationships, in the home and in marriages than unlike anything I've ever seen before. The context of merely just the crisis alone in our personal lives that come many times as a result of the stress and all the challenges that are there is, is, is kind of overwhelming. Overwhelming. Then you add to that the financial complications of the season in which we live and many uncertainties of what's going to happen here and what's going to happen with this job and what's going to happen for my family. Then beyond that, you've got a pandemic and you've got a a virus and and we're wondering about the vaccine and is there a cure? And then on top of that, you've got the government dealing with all these restrictions saying you can and you can't and all all of it's a bit overwhelming. Believe it or not, God understands the broken world in which we live. In fact, the reason why God commanded Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden not to sin was that they could enjoy perfect fellowship and relationship with him, but also God knew that when sin entered the world, death and disease and brokenness of all sorts would enter the world. In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that we've experienced the brokenness of humanity and the flawed nature of ourselves and of this world in a, what's the word, in an unprecedented way this year. And yet in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all the difficulty I believe what God wants us to see this morning and throughout this season is this there is good news There's good news in spite of a pandemic. There's good news in spite of the political unrest. There's good news in spite of all the pain and all the challenges and all the questions and all the uncertainties and all the brokenness. There's good news today. And I want you to know, it's not news of a vaccine. It's not news of a financial situation. It's not news of Christmas traditions. It's not news of political issues. No, it is news that has been established for all eternity. And that is that God has made a way for you and I to know him. God has made a way for you and I to have a peace that passes all human understanding. God has made a way even today in this brokenness for us to have a living hope. God has made a way for us to have a joy that is inexpressible, it's overabundant from our life and full of glory. And that key good news is found in Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter one, I believe that God once again points us to this good news that is ours today for all who believe in Jesus. What I want you to see this morning in the gospel is simply this. It doesn't matter what you feel, what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you fear today. If you will believe in the one that is being promised in Luke chapter one, today you can know that good news personally and walk in the joy of it. I wanna ask you if you're physically able to stand to your feet this morning, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word as we look at the good news, not just of a child, but the good news of a king. Listen to what the Bible says, beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Can you say Nazareth? To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. Can you say David? David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing, can you say nothing? (laughs) Nothing will be impossible with God. I love Mary's response. She said, behold, the bond slave, the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and for the time that we've gathered here together. Thank you for the freedom that we have to do so. God, I pray that we would not just go through the motions today. Lord, I don't wanna go through the motions of just proclaiming a message, but God, would you today, would you work and move through your word to convict us and to challenge us and to change us? May today we have uh, a renewed understanding of this good news of a king. And I pray, God, that through it all, we would all be examining our life to, to make sure that Jesus alone is our King and our Lord. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Good news of a king. Luke chapter one this morning, we pick up the story in many ways where we left off last week. Last week, we were looking at the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, where God raises up this prophet Isaiah to proclaim a message in Isaiah seven, verse 14. Isaiah declared these simple words, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before the birth of Christ, God was proclaiming that he will provide himself. He would provide a gift to the world so that through this gift, through the acceptance of it, all could be saved. The Bible tells us this gift would come in the form of a child through the virgin. But Isaiah didn't end there. In Isaiah chapter nine, two chapters later, verses six and seven, he tells us specifically, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. But listen, he continues on in Isaiah nine, verses six and seven. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Listen to what he said. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish this. In other words, what God is promising through Isaiah is this God is saying, I'm going to send a child. He's going to come through the womb of a virgin, but make no mistake about it. This child will be a king. This child will be a king who will come to, to rule and reign on the throne of David. That sounds like such a simple prophecy that maybe could be challenging in our day, but believe it or not, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel gives the message to Mary, the angel begins to reveal that the child that is to be born in her is the fulfillment of what was promised over 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, to help us understand that this morning, I think it helps us to have some context. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the birth of Christ about this Messiah, this savior who would come, who would be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. But God always works in his timing, in his way. God didn't send that king immediately. God didn't send that child immediately. The Bible tells us, as you begin to read through the Old Testament, that the people for him, they weren't believing the reality that God was going to intervene at a certain time. And so the Bible says that they began to reject God. In fact, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the final prophet comes onto the scene by the name of Malachi 400 years before the birth of Jesus. The Bible tells us the people in that day or much like the people in our day, they loved darkness rather than light. And so because of this, they began to turn to their own wants and their own ways. They weren't living for God. They weren't looking for God. They began to worship false gods. They began to live however they please. And the Bible raises up, God raises up Malachi and Malachi comes with one key message. He says, turn to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Quit putting your hope in all these other gods. Quit putting your hope in all these other kingdoms. Quit putting your hope in all these politics. No, return to God. But the Bible says in Malachi's day, the people hardened their heart and they rejected God. And as a result, God went silent. For 400 years, the people did not have a fresh word from God. For 400 years, God didn't send a prophet For 400 years, God didn't bring a messenger. Now, please understand, the people had prophets, but they weren't God's prophets. The people had messages, but they weren't God's messages. The people had visions, but they weren't God's visions. In the midst of that 400 years of silence, God is now breaking the silence, and he is sending his son as a savior into the world. It's in that moment, I want us to see this morning, three things about this great news of a king. If you're ready to learn this morning, would you say I am? am. Three things about this king. First and foremost, I want you to see the announcement of the king, the announcement of the king. I don't know about you this morning, but I think in our culture today, we love good announcements. In fact, I would say today in our culture, we like any measure of good news, but we like to make a good announcement about something. A young couple might be dating, for example, and they might come to the place of, of, of commitment and kind of the definition and the, mar- and the relationship, and they might define themselves as they're getting engaged to get married. And when they get engaged, what do they do? They keep it quiet for all. No, they, 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 they don't tell anybody. No, they tell everybody about it, Right? In fact, oftentimes there's so much excitement, even in that context, a, a young bride-to-be will come up to me. She will not even tell me. She'll just show me, show me her hand. And by the ring, I'll understand what's happening moment. She's announcing the good news. Of course, that couple eventually will we'll get married. And then after they get married, the Lord might bless them perhaps with a child. And even in that today, we're all about the announcements, aren't we? Who would have ever thought, for example, that a gender reveal party would be such a thing, Okay. It's amazing. I mean, I've been a pastor long enough now to know that, you know, used to just be, hey, we're expecting, it's exciting, you know, there's a celebration there. But now, now to make sure that we're announcing whether it's a boy or a girl, I mean, everything from airplane banners to confetti to donuts to food coloring. And I mean, I've seen people shoot balloons with BB guns, you know, and whatever thing comes out, it's a boy or a girl. We have all these different things to make these glorious grand announcements. And we have this incredible tool called social media to make sure that nobody misses the message, Okay. We're all about an announcement. You can go to Pinterest and you can have pages and pages and pages of ideas about announcements. My daughter could tell you so, but the bottom line is this. When God sent the announcement of the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, his own son, the savior, God did not have this great fanfare. God acted in the most humble, modest And meek of ways by sending the message privately through an angel to Mary. If we were God and we were in that situation, we would say, hey, God, send your greatest ambassador, your most notorious ambassador, go to Jerusalem and and go there to board the square and announce it loud and clear, the king of the Jews is to be born. But God had a specific plan to accomplish, a specific promise to fulfill. I wanna remind us this morning that the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah a wonderful word of truth. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight through 11, it says this, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Listen to this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. In other words, God is always working to fulfill his promises and accomplish his plan. God had a reason for announcing the birth of Christ in this way. The Bible tells us here in Luke chapter one that God sends the messenger, the angel Gabriel to Mary. The Bible says that he goes to Mary. He finds specifically that Mary is from Nazareth. Now, please understand, in the eyes of the world, this would make no sense at all. Mary was a young lady, a common, ordinary girl from the most un, most, most common and ordinary, frankly, kind of looked down upon city in Nazareth. Nazareth was not a great place to be from. They had no thriving industry. They weren't known for their wealth and their economy. They weren't known for their education system and being the elite of society. There were no government or political leaders coming through Nazareth. Nazareth was like, in that land, the poor of the poors. In a land where there are many haves and many have-nots, Nazareth was on the bottom of the total pole of the have-nots. And and we know today that scholars will say that the the population of Nazareth was like two to 400 people. Now, Now, I don't know the population of Singers Glen and Dayton and some of these areas, but I'm telling you, Nazareth was low, low, low in the process of that, a very, 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 very small town. And the Bible says, though, in the midst of that, God had a plan and a purpose. Nazareth was so despised in that day that Nathaniel says of Nazareth in John chapter 1, verse 46, he says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, glad you asked, Nathaniel, because God's about to do something extraordinary through Nazareth. There are many people who will read Luke chapter one and frankly, they'll get so caught up in Mary and so caught up in in the fact that the Bible says that she was a virgin, so caught up in the fact that she was the favored one that they'll begin to deify her. They'll begin to worship her. They'll begin to even pray to her. But please understand, there's only one hero in the Bible and that's Jesus. The, The emphasis here is not on Mary. The emphasis here is on the message about the one that would be conceived in her womb. When the Bible tells us that she was perplexed at that statement, calling her the favored one, the reason she was perplexed is because of this. She knew that she was unworthy of such a greeting. In other words, Mary's not saying here that she's perfect. In fact, the bottom line is is that yes, while she was a virgin and yes, she did not know a man and yes, she was pure in that moment, the fact is there were many virgins in Israel. The fact is there are many, any number of women that God could have chosen in that moment, but the fact is that God chose her. The significance of the message is about who it is, not who it is to. So in that moment, we begin to see something about this announcement, and that is simply that God sent this announcement in the most simple ways to the most simple woman in the most insignificant city possible. So pastor, why is that important? It's important because I think sometimes we need to be reminded of how we relate to that. Though we aren't in Mary's shoes, there are many times we might feel unworthy, There are many times that God might be calling us to a place of obedience. God might be calling us to a place of trust and surrender to him. God might be looking at us and saying, listen, I want you to do this. God might be calling us to serve in some capacity. God might be calling us to bless. God might be calling us to something that seems completely extraordinary and completely we're incapable of doing. But it's in that moment that I believe God is wanting us to see it is not about our worthiness. It's simply about his will. It's not about what we bring to the table. Mary was just a simple, ordinary girl. The Bible doesn't tell us about any gifts, any skills, any knowledge, any resources, any experience, nothing. She simply brought a willingness to hear and to honor God. I wanna remind us this morning in the context of Scripture that oftentimes God uses unlikely people for extraordinary purposes if we will but be willing to trust him and obey. Mary, I imagine, felt like an unlikely person Like Peter, the fisherman, like Matthew, the tax collector, like Saul, the murderer, like you and I. God takes that which is common and ordinary and does extraordinary things when we respond by faith. But I want you to see the second thing is not only the announcement of the king, but I want us to park here for a moment. I want us to see the anticipation of this king. The announcement of the king is simple. Gabriel goes to Mary and says, Mary... You have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. Now at that statement, it, it would I mean, beyond seeing an angel, hello, this would have kind of captured Mary's attention. The child in you, the child that you're gonna birth, the child that you're going to deliver, you're gonna name him Jesus. The name Jesus literally means the Lord our salvation or God saves In other words, Mary, I want you to know loud and clear that God has something extraordinary that he is doing in and through your life right now. God has something amazing because this one that's to be born of you, he's a savior. That would have immediately caught our attention. But in that, the angel angel begins to say several other things that point us, I believe, to the fact that Jesus alone is this anticipated king. Now, I understand this morning or believe that most of us understand uh the idea of anticipation, right? There are things probably about this season that you anticipate and look forward to. How many of you in your house or in your family growing up or in your house now, you have certain traditions or things that you do that you look forward to this time of year? Anybody like that? I imagine most of us in some way, shape or form have things we look forward to. I greatly anticipate this time of year because I enjoy not only the ministry setting of life, but I enjoy my family. This time of year, I love the fact that in the midst of life and things, we, we do things together as a family. Right now, we've got a countdown going, the weeks to Christmas, and, and we'll get together and we'll have some sort of activity. Last night, we, we made gingerbread houses in our house, at least gingerbread creations. I don't know that we'd call them houses. They, there was a gingerbread component to it, okay? And we did that, and we had sweets, and we watched a Christmas movie, and I enjoy those times together. Um, I, I look forward, I know this might sound funny, but the last Sunday of the year for us, i We'll have services, Lord willing, here on December the 27th, and when that Sunday is over, I will have a week away, a week off, just to be with my family. Can I just tell you, I'm really, really, really looking forward to that this year, okay? Don't call me after the 27th. I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We anticipate things. Nowhere do we probably see that more clearly than in the life of a child, especially at this time of year there's something about a child that they, they are they're looking for christmas there's a wonder about it there's a longing for it and it doesn't matter how young or even sometimes how old there's a, an excitement about christmas being here my youngest daughter lane is just about tells me every single day exactly how many days it is till christmas right and she's 10 after the service today, I went outside and I was saying goodbye to people in the early service and hello to people coming in. And I was talking with someone, and as I did, I, I felt this tugging at my leg, and I looked down, and it's a, it was it was one of our members' little girl, and, and and she's probably about four years old. And so I knelt down and I said, "Are you ready for Christmas?" And she said, "I'm getting a pony." And I was like, "Hey, dude, uh, she's getting a pony for Christmas." I didn't know that. It's really exciting, you know. And there's an anticipation there. Well, what God is showing us here. Is it this child to be born? This is not God making things up along the way. God had a divine plan and purpose for the birth of Christ all along. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, did you know you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, and you can see that God is promising that one day he would send a savior into the world. One day he would send the Messiah into the world. He would send this anointed one who would come to rescue and redeem the people. And did you know that we see that all throughout the Old Testament and in these simple words, verses 31, 32, and 33, the angel declares to Mary, the long anticipated awaited child is the one that is to be born in you. Let me illustrate that in in two different ways. First off, we learn here that Jesus is the promised king. He's the promised king. The angel says this, Gabriel does. He says, first off, he will be great. Jesus will be great. Anybody testify to the fact that Jesus is great? That sounds like the understatement of scripture, doesn't it? But the word great here literally would be a word that was used to someone of might and of nobility, usually a word that was used in the context of a king. This would certainly have gotten Mary's attention. Not only will he be great, but notice what the statement says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. Mary, he's going to be great like that of a king, and he's going to be known as the son of the most high, which is to say the son of God. I wonder in that moment if Mary's mind began to remember the prophet Isaiah speaking of this child that would be born of a virgin, and his name would be Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. The angel later would later declare how this would all unfold and why this would be the child of the most high and not the child of Joseph per se. But there's a third thing, and I want us to park here for a moment, and that is when we look at this statement in verse 32, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, who sits on a throne? A king sits on a throne. The Lord God will give your child, this child to be born of you, the throne of his father, David. What in the world does that mean? I mean, think about that for a moment. We know that this child to be born of her was Jesus. Jesus is the son of God, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will have eternal life. Jesus is the son of God. From man's perspective, many recognize Jesus as the son of Joseph because he was largely adopted as the son of Joseph. Joseph raised him as his own. But in this scripture, the Bible says he's going to have the throne of his father, David. So Jesus is a son of David? What? Sounds confusing, doesn't it? I wanna take a few minutes and go throughout scripture and explain to you why this was such a significant title and what it means. Have you ever heard of Jesus referred to as the son of David? And why is that even important? I want us to see that. Now, Now, let me ask you about, before we dive into this, for a simple disclaimer by show of hands, how many of you back in the day in school Maybe you're in school right now. Maybe you're watching the CLC or you're online. How many of you back in the day in school, you loved, loved, loved history? Anybody like that? All right. There's a good, decent number of us. Okay. God bless you. All right. And how many of you like endured history, like with weeping and gnashing of teeth, you couldn't hardly stand it. You just prayed to get through it. Anybody like that? Okay. Okay. For those of you who loved history, you're probably going to enjoy this, but I need your help. And that is that if you see the person beside you dozing off in the next 10 minutes, just give them a holy elbow, okay? Just a holy, the, the pastor giving you permission. For those of you that it's hard to focus on history, I want to ask you to give me 10 minutes. 10 minutes to try to explain what God is showing us here in this text. And I hope in that you'll come to understand what the son of David means and why it's important that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. The fact is there are many people today who are still looking for the son of David and they dismiss the fact that Jesus himself was and is the son of David. Why is that important? The title son of David is a messianic title. It means that whoever is the son of David in this context, he would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior of the world. There are many Jews all throughout the world right now, right today, right as I speak, some of which are here in our community. They're still looking for the son of David to come, anticipating that one day God's going to send the Savior into the world and dismiss the fact he's already come. Why is that? Now let me go through Old Testament and kind of explain how God worked and moved to show his plan and purpose that Jesus alone is the promised king. There's not another savior. There's not another way. There's not another way to heaven. Jesus alone is the only way. Let me explain. The Bible tells us that from the very beginning, God had a plan and a purpose to rescue and to redeem his people. He would do so by ruling in the hearts and lives of all who would believe in him. In the Old Testament, many of you perhaps remember a lady by the name of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter one tells us an amazing story. Hannah was unable to conceive and have a child. She goes into the temple, she prays, she pours her heart out, out to God and she begs God, God, would you give me a child? Would you give me a son? And as you do, I will dedicate him to you for all the days of his life. We understand that God heard her prayer. God blessed her with a child. God heard her prayer and moved in an incredible way. But don't you know, God is always doing more than we can see and understand in the moment. You might be here today in a hopeless and, and hurtful, challenging situation. You don't see how God is at work. You don't understand his plan. But I'm here to tell you, God is always working in ways that you may not see and understand in the moment. From man's perspective, Hannah was blessed to receive a child, but from God's perspective, he was doing something far greater in that moment. First Samuel, the Bible tells us chapter 2, Samuel, the little boy, has been weaned. He's about to be dedicated to the Lord in the temple. And in verse 10, Hannah prays over him and prophesies. Listen to what she says. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed." Pastor, why is that so important? See that word of king where it says, he will give strength to his king. Hannah is prophesying this before Israel even has an earthly king. In that day, Israel had one king and that king was God. They loved him and they lived for him and they longed for him. God would raise up messengers. He would raise up prophets. He would raise up leaders. But God was their king. When Hannah prophesied of this, she began to foresee by God's direction the fact that one day there would be a king in Israel. Samuel, that little boy would grow up to become a messenger of God. He would become a servant of God in his day. It would be in Samuel's lifetime that the Israelites would harden their hearts and they would say, we don't want God for a king. We want a king that we can see. We want a king that we can hear. We want a king that we can feel. We want a king that we can spend time. We want this kind of a king. The Bible says that God raised up Samuel to be the one who would anoint the first two kings of Israel. He would anoint Saul, who God would ultimately reject, and then he would be led to anoint a king by the name of David. Maybe you remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses one and following. The Bible tells us that God looked at David in 1 Samuel 16, verse one. I'm sorry, at Samuel. And he said, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Interesting. God has a chosen king from Bethlehem. What a picture of things to come. The Bible says that he goes to Jesse's house and Jesse does what you and I would do. He starts bringing out his sons, the oldest to the youngest. Here's the oldest, maybe that's the king. Here's the smartest one, maybe he's to be the next king. Here's the most handsome, maybe he's to be the next king. Here's the most athletic along the way. Here's the one that can eat the most, I don't know. He's bringing them all out. The Bible says that after he looks at all the sons, David uh, Samuel looks and says, this is not the one that God has chosen. Do you have any others? The Bible says that Jesse said, I've got one who's out taking care of the sheep. Listen to this statement, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 through 13. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Speaks through Hannah, there's a king that's going to come. Samuel anoints a king by the name of David. Now listen to what God promised David, 1 Chronicles chapter 17. David is in a place where he is aging and God makes a word of commitment and promise a covenant with David in 1 Chronicles 17 verses 11, 14. Listen to what he says. When your days are fulfilled that you must go to be with your fathers, then I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established. How long? Forever. God looks at David and he says, David, I want you to know there's going to be one who's coming after you of your descendants. He's going to come to your throne. He's going to be the king of all kings. He's going to be the ruler of all rulers. His kingdom will have no end. It will last forever for all eternity is the picture here. Because of this promise, the Jews heard that. And anytime someone would rise to leadership amongst the Jews, they would begin to examine, is he a son of David? Could this one be the Messiah? Could this be the one who would come to rule and reign over us, to redeem us and to rescue us? They longed for this son of David. This is the one that Isaiah prophesied when he prophesied about a government of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. By the way, what was Jesus' lineage? Go read this week, this week, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. Study the lineage of Jesus and you'll find the lineage from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way down to David, Solomon, and Uzziah. And then comes to verse 16. Listen to what the Bible says. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. The Savior of the world had to come through the line of David. And the Bible points to us on both sides, literally to show us that Jesus came directly through the line of David. But that's not all. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 15. I've got three more minutes. I asked for 10. Three. Listen to this. Matthew 15, verses 22 through 23. Jesus is now an adult. He's uh, in his earthly ministry. He's walking around. He's teaching by his words, his works, his miracles. He's proving who he is. Listen to what happens. The Bible says, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, have mercy on me, Lord. What did she call him? Son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. Have mercy on me. And what does the Bible say? It says this. He did not answer her a word. And we read that in the English and we think, that means Jesus ignored her. That's not what it's saying. In fact, we know after this that Jesus took time for her, even when it was culturally unacceptable to do so, he showed compassion and mercy and he healed her. When the Bible says he answered her not a word, it means this, he didn't correct her. He didn't rebuke her. He allowed that statement, have mercy on me, son of David, to stand because she addressed him for who he really was. He is the long awaited son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. Matthew chapter 20, verse 30. Blind men began to cry out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on us. What do they call him? Son of David. In fact, when you go back and study that passage, you see the Pharisees are there and they're crying out for help and they don't care. But when they call him son of David, when they say, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the savior of the world, you're the one we've been looking for. The Bible says instantly the Pharisees became indignant and tried to silence them. But Jesus showed compassion and he healed them. No greater illustration of that is found than Matthew 21 verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple. What were they shouting? Hosanna to the son of David. And they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus, do you not hear they're calling you the savior of the world? They're calling you the Messiah, the one who's come to rescue and redeem the people. Do you not hear this? And Jesus said to them, yes, I hear it. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself? The King James says it best. Have you not heard out of the mouth of babes that literally the father has perfected praise for himself. In other words, when these children were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, they were declaring praises to the savior of all the world. And Jesus says, praise is perfected. The highest level of praise that can exist is to accept me for who I am. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the savior of the world. In other words, all the Old Testament prophecies All of them are coming to a place of fulfillment in one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of David. He is the promised king. But secondly, he is the permanent king. Notice what the angel said in Luke chapter one. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. He will reign over this throne forever and his kingdom will have no end. Of course, when Jesus came to this earth the first time, he came in the most in the manger. He came so meekly and yet at the same time he came for the express purpose of serving and giving his life for you and for me. But for that very reason, many of the Jews rejected him. They dismissed him they dismissed the fact that he claimed to be the Messiah because he was not the type of king they were looking for. He didn't, he didn't have a, the Bible tells us that literally his kingdom was not of this world. They wanted somebody to come with power and authority and military might and someone with all the wealth, so to speak, that they could see. They were expecting that type of king. They would look at Jesus and say, Jesus is not my king. But you know what's amazing is this. It doesn't matter how greatly we try to dismiss him. It doesn't matter how loudly we deny him. There is nothing that we can do to change the fact that Jesus alone is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Many Jews will reject the fact that Jesus is king, frankly, because in doing so, it means that they will have to admit that they crucified their king. But the fact is this, even when Jesus stood before the, the Roman governor Pilate, Pilate saw no offense in him. He saw nothing that he did wrong. He saw absolutely no reason to condemn him to death. And yet, because the Jews were crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, he sentenced him to death. But he did so with an inscription above his head. What did it say? It didn't matter how bad they rejected him. God had already declared it. The statement was this. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. Jesus came to establish a heavenly kingdom that will one day result in a kingdom here on this earth. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, did you know that even today, right here today, we can be a part of this great kingdom of God? Right here today, we can be a part of knowing that heaven is our home. Right here today, we can know we're going to be a part of that reign when he comes to rule and reign on this earth. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, exactly how. The Bible says that when Jesus first came, he came with a simple, clear message. And that was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you and I believe in who Jesus is and we repent of our sin, we get to experience the joy of knowing that we're forgiven, the joy of knowing that we're saved and the incredible wonder that we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time he arrived as a humble baby through a humble womb and was laid in a humble manger. But the next time he comes, he will come back as King of kings and Lord of all lords. Revelations eleven fifteen says it this way. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to tell you the last thing, and we'll close our message this morning, and that is this. The announcement of the king, Jesus is coming. The anticipation of the king, he is the long-awaited Messiah, the son of David, the savior of all the world. He alone is this. But finally, I want you to see the acceptance of the king. The fact of the matter is in this moment, the angel declared the message to Mary, that he was sending. God the Father was sending his son to the world to be the Savior. But with this news, Mary now had a response to give. She could receive it, or she could reject it. She could believe it, or she could dismiss it. She could willingly follow God's plan, or she could grumble and complain all along the way. I believe she did two things that we must be willing to do today, and that is this. First, we must believe in him. We must believe in him. Mary hears the words of the Messiah to be born in her. She doesn't argue it. She doesn't debate it. She doesn't dismiss it. In fact, she doesn't ask a a single question about the Messiah to be born. Why? Because she had received the message and she believed it. She believed that news. In fact, the Bible tells us that the angel looked at her and said, listen, God is doing this incredible thing and even your relative Elizabeth, even her who was called barren, she's pregnant and she's been pregnant for six months for nothing will be impossible with God. He can do all things. And at that, Mary believed that God could bring the savior of the world through her womb. Mary in this moment, Fully is believing the promise of God. Verses 47, verses 49 and 50, which is why she would declare at the end of this chapter, verses 47, verses 49 and 50. Listen to what she says My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. By the way, who acknowledges their need for a Savior? All who acknowledge themselves as sinners. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Mary understood that she was receiving and experiencing the mercy and the grace of God. But secondly, not only did she believe in him, she surrendered to his will. She didn't resist what God was doing. The Bible says she responded in verse 38, behold the bond slave of the Lord, May it be done to me according to your word. She heard what the angel said. She knew what God's will was in the moment. And even though his will was associated with joy, frankly, there were gonna be some challenges along the way. I don't know if she was thinking through all the details in that moment, but no doubt she was about to soon face some criticism. No doubt, as she would become pregnant and there wouldn't be a lot of explanation, there would be a lot of ridicule, there'd be a lot of rejection. Even Joseph, her husband-to-be, there would be skepticism and doubt on his heart. She was gonna go through all sorts of challenges along the way, even to the point that Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world and a sword would pierce her own heart in that context. And yet still in that moment, she looked at the cost of obedience, knowing that God's will is always best. She said, May it be to me the bond slave, the servant of the Lord. You know, this morning, the good news is still the good news. Jesus came to make a way so that you and I could be saved. Jesus is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords, which really leaves us with one simple question, and that is this. In your life, is Jesus your Lord and your king? Fact is, frankly, it's easy to live in Bible Belt America and put on an outward appearance of knowing and loving Jesus but really know nothing of a relationship with him. My hope and encouragement for us today is this, is to make sure in our lives that we have truly put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and experienced the gift of God's salvation. I, I urge you this morning So many times in our life, we get distracted by all the different pursuits of this world, all the different things going on in the world. And I believe what God is calling us to do is this, to make sure that we personally have believed that message, believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that today, I invite you to do so. But secondly, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my hope and prayer for us today is that we will respond to King Jesus in the same way that Mary responded. And we would say to Jesus, let it be to me according to your word. Whatever it is you would call me to do, whatever it is you'd have me to do, however you'd have me to serve, however you'd have me to to minister, wherever you'd have me to go, whatever you'd have me to give, whatever you'd have me to do, let it be to me according to your word. If Jesus is truly the king of our life, we will say nothing else but an attitude of surrender and devotion to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you're speaking to our heart and life. Thank you for the reminder that Jesus is indeed the only savior of the world. He is the long awaited Messiah. God, I pray today that if there's anyone listening online or even watching or even sitting here right now, God, that it's, has that it's not come to that conviction. Father, I pray that today right now would be their day of salvation where they confess Jesus Christ to be their Lord and savior. God, I pray for those of us who are saved. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. I pray, God, that we would be faithful to respond to you uh, by faith, that we would not just come to saving faith, but every single day we would live by faith, looking to you and trusting you. God, I pray in that, whatever it is that you lead us to do, that we'd be faithful and we'd be obedient to your leading. God, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Have your way in our hearts and lives right now in this moment.